0: Hello and welcome to another Ulster Rugby Roundup We're back with yet another bonus point win today Set, It's all getting a little bit repetitive With mm-hmm. me again Phillips back at Ulster's win over Deborah Are Jonathan Bradley, hello Jonathan Hello And Adam Kendrick, hello Adam Hello Adam hello, Adam. Hello. Adam you're sleeping I haven't even started yet and you've tuned out I said hello I oh, know but it was too late, it wasn't on the ball so we'll also look at this week's because-
1: week's podcast by saying everything was a bit repetitive as well. Is this some kind of like occurring <laughs> joke or was that unintentional?
0: No, that was unintentional. Uh, apologies <laughs> to the listeners who will now probably think they're listening to last week's podcast by mistake. You're not.
2: You see, it's, it's deja vu.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, funny you should say that, Adam, because, oh, that's not, I thought that was in the next line of script, but that's maybe further down. Uh, that's one to look forward to. So we'll look ahead to this weekend's visit of Scarlet as well as that Zebra game and address the international situation with Ireland matches seemingly never ending. So Jonathan, first of all, this week uh, is Marcel Coutier. Just go on ahead, say some more nice things.
1: He's very good. The thing about Marcel Coutier is that I think he always raises his game on the big occasion. Like, he's been so good for Ulster in Europe. He was so good... Um, you know, towards the end of last season, in those big games, even though he was, even though he was carrying injuries, but there's something about watching him now in a league where all the other internationals are away. Mm. <laughs> it just seems a bit unfair. In another I thought way, you were about thought, to
2: say that Zebra were the big occasion. That would have been the greatest compliment they've received in the last five years.
1: Mate, nothing to me says big occasion like an empty <laughs> Zebra stadium on a Monday <laughs> night. At 6 o'clock, while everyone still going not have <laughs> the day.
0: Exactly, at 6 o'clock. We're, of course, talking about Marcel Ketzea, as I'm sure you will all know if you're listening to this podcast, scored four tries in that win over Zebra on Monday evening. Adam, when was the last
2: time that happened for an Ulster player? Do we know? Uh, in the professional era, it has not. It has um, never happened. It has never happened. No, that's the first time a player has scored four tries wow. in a competitive game for Ulster in the professional era. Now, there was a very heated Twitter debate going on that I saw Darren Cave scored four tries against Portugal in a friendly. Okay. Was that back in 2009? I think 2008 possibly, but that, that was just a friendly. This is the first time anyone scored four tries in a competitive game okay. for Ulster in the professional era. And doing so a, that's free
0: professional era. No, because we don't know back then.
2: No, I, I can try trawling back through the stats, but I say I'm, I'm going <laughs> to come back on that one because Given the most games
1: finished like six-three in those days. I think it's yeah. safe to say. So.
2: Yeah. You, I could maybe go back to like the 1960s or something and I might find a random <laughs> game somewhere where someone scored four tries, but I'd say Marcel is probably a, in a category of his own. We'll give it to him.
0: Uh, very well deserved as well. So Lord Mick asks quite simply, how good is Marcel, I could see you, say He says good. How good is he? I mean, I don't know how we're expected to rate this at this stage, but have a go. I think, and
1: hopefully nobody goes back too far because I can't remember what I said like three or four weeks ago when we were asked the same question. I think there's a possibility that you now have to look at them as next to very close to Ruin Pienaar in terms of Ulster imports. And obviously when you're talking about players of that calibre for a play, uh, from a country like South Africa, a rugby nation like South Africa, you're obviously at that point talking very close to the very best players that Ulster have had, um, certainly in the professional era, like without having been around to... I suppose, judge against the merits of Kyle or Gibson or guys like that. So you're really talking, I suppose, the last couple of decades, say, um, when most people are having this conversation. I think you have to put him right up there in as good a player as Ulster have had. Adam, do you agree?
2: Yeah. uh, I think world-class probably applies in this situation. He's just been so good. I I can't agree more with what Johnny's saying. You know, If if you think back to number eights, that Ulster have had down the years you know Roger Wilson that is prime Pedri Vandenberg Nick Williams all those guys great number eights but Marcel's just a step above all of them the fact that he plays so many minutes the fact that he leads the carries he leads the forwards every single week it's relentless what he does and just his work rate and his ethic and what he means to them it's unparalleled so yeah, I'd definitely put him up there as one of the greatest imports that Ulster have ever signed. It, it'd be really interesting to do sort of a breakdown of who is Ulster's best import, probably between himself and Pienaar, and maybe throw Miller in there as well. But he's just so important. He's so integral to what Ulster have, to do, or have been doing. And for, for Ulster to have him... For as long as they have, through good fortune that the Springboks aren't playing at the moment, yeah. you know, they they must be absolutely delighted.
0: Well, it's getting hard for us at this stage to say anything new about how you, Marcel could say is, And the same could be said for Dan McFarland, who uh, was asked by yourself, Jonathan, about um, Marcel could say it, But it's hard to really know even how to phrase a question at this stage of asked that regularly. So... A man that probably hasn't been asked quite as often it was Bill Johnson, who was up for media after the game. So here's what he had to say, a fresh voice on how good is Marcel could say.
2: Yeah, you probably saw that first line out. I was ready to make a hit and like Superman, he just swoops in in front of you and then tackles him. That's, that's the kind of guy he is. I'm just amazed by his competitiveness, his willingness to leave it all out there for the team um, every single week. Um, he's a real special part of this club. Yeah, he had man of the match on his 50th appearance was was worthy at I wouldn't be surprised if he's had man of the match in over half of those 50 appearances and um, it's just a real typical performance for him. We love playing hard for him and he plays hard for us.
0: Those four tries then that were scored the first time in the professional era in a competitive game for Ulster. James Bradley wants to know what's the proper name for scoring four tries. Do we have a, an official unofficial phrase for it he suggests a daddy hat trick or a top hat trick <laughs> a top hat trick very good I didn't get that until I read it out I like it now
1: yeah that is good that's uh that's tough to beat top, like
2: top hat tricks
1: very good two tries is always like a brace of tries and then three is always a hat trick so I think like four to go down that route of a journalistic phrase that you would only ever use in writing copy but never say out loud would be a four try haul
2: or a four try mole <laughs> <sighs> come on <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna show my age here a bit. um one of the first video games I ever had was FIFA 2003 for the PlayStation 2. I'm remember glad those, you're
0: bringing football into this Ron. remember those glory days <laughs> the very
1: fact
2: that you said video game makes you side older than <laughs> yeah. oh, good, good point no, the <laughs> um, but then any, time you scored more than a hat trick to so say you scored four goals with someone it would come up milestone so a milestone of goals. Possibly. Uh, yeah. The only the only yeah. issue with that is every, every time you then scored more goals than that. So if a player scored five or six, it would still come up milestone. So uh, yeah. it doesn't so, seem like milestones exclusive to four goals.
0: I don't know when we'll have to come up with a name for a five try milestone. So we'll make I it. Think five tries
1: that. is a handful. Five fingers. Ch- five tries
0: <laughs> is
2: too many. Spread them around.
0: I think we can have four suggestions on a Twitter poll. So we'll put uh, James Bradley's two suggestions and your two out to the Twitter public later on and see which one wins and then we can adopt it so that if it, if it ever happens to again, uh, you two are contractually obliged to use that bridge in uh, any time you mention it. i even now not on, signing late, up for that. Later this week, you'll probably talk about that again and copy, won't you, Johnny? So whatever this... Twitter poll says, this is what you have to use in your copy and the rest of the week. That's the challenge. I'm going to pass the subs, so it's actually used in the paper as well. <laughs> <laughs> so on a little more uh, of a serious note, Donal asks, when is Marcel's contract up? And Or no, when Marcel's contract is up, DCS having another scenario like with Ryan Pinar. Surely we wouldn't want to lose him, uh, but maybe we'll want to stay if he did, do you think he would be allowed to resign? So, Adam, what do you think? And when is that uh, that contract ending?
2: So Marcel's contract is up in twenty twenty two, so we've still got one more season beyond this one. Just of one Marcel, okay, right? Yeah, um, age
0: I, will he be at that time. Sorry, what age will he be come the end of his contract? Well, that's
2: what I was looking up there. He'll be thirty one. So once a player is over thirty, the RFU's directive generally is to only give one year contracts, which is why Ruin Pinar was forced out. So <clears throat> by that time, Ulster would be looking at only being able to give him a one year contract. And at that stage, it's hard to see that he would be any, you know, there'd be any decline in his performances or any regression in his in standard. So you'd say that he would probably still be commanding a lot of interest from other sides, from French sides, definitely the South African sides would probably want them back. And I'd say there'd be definitely a few multi-year deals on offer. So it could all depend on him and where he feels comfortable we we don't know what what might happen down the line. You know, we, we have seen presents in the past where you know, depending on how they see the situation, there, if you can give a longer term deal than just one year. But if you're operating on the basis that whenever he is up for renewal, Ulster will only be able to give him one year, I'd say. Definitely be looking at other options as well as considering staying at Ulster because whenever you get into your 30s, you're more prone to injury. And we know that Marcel has had injury issues in the past. So you definitely want to look at something that will give you security. And as well, you've always got to remember that rugby is not the best paid sport in the world. Yeah. So at some stage, you do have to start looking at life beyond rugby and thinking, Am I set up for life beyond rugby? If I retire tomorrow, would I be safe? Would I have something to go to? So there'll be factors that will come in. Ulster definitely have a leg up because of what they've done for him. He's happy here. He's settled here. Um, if Ulster weren't to win a trophy within the next two years, I definitely think he'd still have some unfinished business to do. And certainly, they're getting the best out of him. You know, he's he's playing his best rugby at Ulster, and that can't be overlooked. If you go somewhere else, he may not fit into the system quite as well, but. I certainly don't think it's a given that we get to the end of Marcel's contract and he'll sign an extension at Ulster. That'll just be one of the options that's on the table for him.
0: Johnny, do you think if he did want to stay, that it would be sanctioned when you look about what maybe the situation in other provinces might be eh, at the end of next season?
1: Yeah, well, I think number it's a bit different to Scrum Half. Scrum Half is obviously very specialised, and while Marcel does... More often than not, now play number eight. He's played six for Ulster. Like we've seen, I suppose, other cases in the other provinces where they've had not necessarily the same, but there's been an imported presence in their back row for a large number of years in a row. Like obviously, Ulster, you can pretty much track Wannenberg through to Williams through to see and that's you with an imported number eight for a decade now. So it is arguably. A worse situation than Pienaar was in solely that regard, but the fact that the back row is so attritional, the fact that you have three back row spots to fill and can move people around, the fact that Ireland have so many back rowers capable of playing international rugby is one of those instances where, not unlike Ruin Pinar, you have to say, you could make the argument that it would be it would feel counterproductive for the province's prospects moving forward to insist upon getting rid of him. Now, the whole part of this discussion that we haven't touched upon yet is that you can also make the argument, given how John Cooney's performed, that they are if you were in the end justified mm-hmm. in a purely rugby sense rather than a human sense. Jadison Ryan Pener. Um but that's hindsight. <laughs> Nobody was saying that at the time. No, definitely. Um the age prospect I think think will be an interesting one um in the thirties. Obviously like you know Roger Wilson, Tommy Boo, Andy Trimble, um, all got multi-year deals in their thirties, but um, it is maybe something that we see less of. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Marcel will be just in his thirties.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, is certainly at the minute the team's best player, their talisman, if you like. So, mm-hmm. I don't think it'll be a case of whether he's allowed to stay. I think it'll be a case of um, meaning or making sure that the money makes sense because. You look at the amount of money that the Irish provinces are losing through all of their home games played behind closed doors and through, every, conversely, almost more importantly, every Ireland game is played behind closed doors. Yeah. So the financial landscape of the IRFU has changed and will continue to change mm. to the point where it's unrecognisable to what it was when Gasea signed his last contract. We've seen that with the pay cuts that have been happening across the board, the pay deferrals. So whenever Marcel comes to negotiate his next contract, it's going to be against a very different backdrop. And that's going to be the case for everyone that Ulster have to uh, negotiate with. You know, you mentioned that 2022, you've also got Cooney, you've also got McCluskey and I think possibly Stockdale's IRFU deal. Deals 2023.
2: 2023,
1: sorry. But yeah, you've got an awful lot of important players coming up I suppose, this time next year. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that uh, all sort of shakes out.
0: Yeah. Well, on that note, I mean, like we've talked a lot, like regularly about how young this Ulster team is on the whole and that they're building towards trophies and there's no rush, you know, in the next three or four years they can build up and eventually get to that stage. But does Marcel could see his age and that potential that he might move on? Adam, maybe inject a little bit more urgency into that. Uh, and the fact because he is like a, more and more obvious every week how big a player and how important he is and how also aren't the same without him. So, is there that or despite the youth of most of the other players, is there that urgency that if they don't win a trophy under or with Marcel see there, it'll become infinitely more difficult afterwards?
2: They'll not be looking at it that way. They'll be looking at it as Marcel is a key part of us winning trophies right now, and they'll be looking at once he goes. There is someone to step into his place. Now, you're not replacing Marcel like for like. At some point, whenever he goes, you know, whoever steps up into his place, there is likely going to be a transition period between Kutzea and post But I don't think there's necessarily an urgency to go from, to go like, we need to win a trophy while Marcel is here. I think they would definitely like to. I think they would love for him to win a trophy while he's here because he is such a such a key player. But at the same time, you know, I don't think there was necessarily an urgency when Ruham Pinar and Johan Muller were there because you know they were really important players to the province back when they were there. But there wasn't necessarily an urgency of we need to win a trophy while they're here. It was a case of they will be key parts to us winning a trophy. Um, Ulster have to keep always this... Be... Sorry,
1: sorry, sorry, sorry. You're okay, there you're
2: about. okay, go ahead. There should always be a sense of urgency to win a trophy, just to yeah.
1: reject the question. Like, we know, if we had been doing this in 2011 and 2012, we would have said, oh, like, this Ulster team, you know, as much as they got thumped by Leinster in that final or... um you know, getting back to the European quarterfinals and getting beat by Northampton was still a mark of progression, we would have said they'll definitely win something in the next three years, four years, because look at all these young players that are coming through. You know, that didn't happen. And then that team essentially broke up in 2014 and then was wholly dismantled over the next few years without winning any silverware. So you can't just assume that, you know, there's no sense of urgency because these guys have time on their side because it
2: just it yeah. doesn't work like that. For me, it's not a matter of urgency. For, I, I, I agree that there should always be an urgency to win a trophy, but for me, you've got to be looking long-term. The, the thing that Ulster didn't do right back then was whenever that team came to its end, whenever uh, Muller left and Vandenberg left and uh, Pienaar then eventually left, there was no one to step in and replace them. The, the troops coming up through the system weren't there. Ulster have to continue to have this long-term plan in place that whenever Kasea leaves, there is someone to step in there. It doesn't have to be like for like, but they have to have someone who can step in there and at least try and replicate what Kasea is doing right now. You know, they need to make sure that this is prolonged success. And if you, if you have prolonged success at some point, you will get to a stage where you are consistently getting into finals, where you are consistently challenging for trophies, and one will eventually go your way. The um, thing is, to win a trophy,
1: you need probably five players who are capable of playing for one of the three Southern Hemisphere powerhouses or the British and Irish Lions. You need another five players who are capable of playing international rugby. And you need another five players who are there or thereabouts. So if you lose Marcel then you lose one of those top five echelon players and you have to be able to replace that with somebody else, you know, the point that Adam makes is valid. Like whenever Ulster lost, Afoa, Muller, those two specifically, they didn't, those were two of your five players and they didn't replace them with players that were going to be two of those five players. Um, so that's where you fall down. So, it's not like they're going to win something because of Marcel. They'll win something because they have a group of players of Marcel's quality or close to Marcel's quality, then another group of really good players, and then another group of good players. So if you lose from that top level, that's the hardest to replace, obviously.
0: Yeah. Well, look, if they keep scoring tries, it seems rate they are at the minute. They'll not be too far away. Nine on Monday night, which was uh, quite ridiculous, really. Jonathan, we, we talk every week about some sort of progression and how, how we can really go about uh trying to assess just how good ulster's performances are in these games how would you rate it on monday night
1: yeah i thought it was decent like um just a decent nine tries, nine
2: tries and it was decent
0: <laughs> well no it's a bit like you know um but that is what we're saying it's definitely yeah. really because the standard we'll have to rate it off is would it be leinster that's what we're talking about and it's hard to. yes that's to exactly
1: it you have to redefine power you have to like not to go Bryson into on it, but you have to redefine what's expected and, like, yeah. as strange as it seems. And in the piece out today, I, like I mentioned, that Johnny McCormick stat that was on Twitter yesterday about the uh, securing tries or securing a try bonus by half time, like how rare that used to be. And now it feels like that's the barometer of job done. Yeah. And, like, that's a crazy position to be in. But, you know, you get that done and you're like, yeah, okay, that's, uh, that you're, you're expecting them to thump people now because, look, the disparity in the Pro 14 is what it is. like Ulster have the depth to deal with losing their international contingent, which is a lot smaller than Zebra's international contingent. And the two things that for me that have made this more pronounced is, one, the sheer length of this never-ending international window has meant that we've been putting up with results like this one-sided games like this for longer than we normally have to and then also the more worrying aspect of it is the depth of squad that other teams can build in times of empty stadiums and the coronavirus because it's those sort of depth players that are the ones that are going to get cut I think Adam maybe made this point a few weeks ago that it's not so much that you're worried about being able to retain your star players. It's that you're worried about being able to maintain a squad of 40 players that when you lose all these players, it's the guys filling that gap. Like, you know, Gareth, we talked earlier about it. Like Ulster had essentially one of their Champions Cup backline in the team. So one of their first choice backline really in the team. Then you're talking, you can debate the loose head, you can debate the tight end, even actually, if you want, as well as Marty Murray played this season. You could see it. So, you know, there really wasn't an awful lot of Ulster's first choice team in there either. And that's where the gap has developed between them and the rest of the league. So, in terms of whether that's enough to say that you've improved from where you were in September, like, I don't even know if you can say that accurately until you face a different type of challenge the kind of challenge that you faced in September it's not to say that they haven't improved on the aspect of having the depth to get through this period so much better than everybody else because they obviously have we've talked about that a lot but that's not going to stand you in good stead in a month's time whenever
0: you're so, Big Jim, just to move on to our next listener question, have we had to develop our game plan more when Big Stu McCluskey hasn't been available? Has this helped create more variety in Ulster's attacking structures?
2: I would agree with that to a sense, but not necessarily because specifically because Stu McCluskey's not there. Um, I think that's, uh, that's certainly played a part in it because you, know, you don't have him playing as usual physical style at 12, but we've seen Stuart Murr trying to play physical at 12. We've seen James Hume play a bit physical at 12. Um, But I think Ulster have tried to bring their game on in a different way. They're certainly using them all a lot more. Um, And we saw that a bit last year, but they've really ramped it up this year or this season um, because it's just such a weapon at the moment. But What what they've done is with all the different parts they've got in that back through or in that back line, they've started to use them in a lot of different ways. Like even on Monday night, something as simple as bringing Bill Johnson into the team brought the crossfield kick back into the mix a lot more than what we saw over the first five games. Ian Madigan and Michael Lowry weren't really looking for the wingers with crossfield kicks. Bill Johnson, I think, had two within the first twenty minutes. So. There's that variety that you're able to have by bringing different guys into the team. Luke Marshall has added that little bit more solidity and defense from 13 that, you know, you maybe lose whenever you have human Murr in the center, but you add a bit more of excitement and attack whenever you have those two there. Um, I thought Ethan McElroy really came in off his wing a lot, looking for work compared to what Fadis and Gilroy have maybe done to start the season. So, I think it's not necessarily that Ulster have specifically changed the game plan because they don't have big stew available. I think they've been changing the game plan based on who they're wanting to play and they're wanting to give guys game time to take a look at what their skill sets offer. So, you know, whenever you play in Madigan at 10, you're a lot flatter to the line. Whenever you're playing uh, Johnson at 10, you're a bit deeper. Whenever you've got Cooney there, you've got a bit more control than, say, if you had Matthewson or Shannon there. So there's different aspects that Ulster are trying to do. It'll be interesting to see what kind of game style they go to whenever we get back into European games uh, next month. But I would say the style is now Ulster have been able to change things up really nicely. And it's you've seen it over the first few games. They're, they're not winning games in exactly the same way every week which is the big thing. It's not give it to Stu and he makes meters and then you have Kutsia coming around the corner to carry it up. And then you just sort of repeat that over and over mm-hmm. until you get some reward. You've got different guys chipping in. Ulster have had 19 different try scores this season. Yeah. You know, the, this isn't the case of is hogging all the tries or McCluskey's hogging all the tries or, you know, they batter up the middle and then the winger score. 19 different try scores and 30 tries is... Excellent, and could see he has scored eight of them. Yeah. So having only scored one the year before, he was obviously slacking before. Yeah, I, mean, I think so, it's yeah.
1: just like it's important to not overcomplicate things as well. Like your best team is invariably the one with the best combination of player of your best players in it. Like Ulster have looked more threatening in games that didn't involve McCluskey this season, but it's not because McCluskey wasn't there. Like. The, the one game that McCluskey played for Ulster out of these six is the one that they were playing the best team. Like the toughest game Ulster have had is the one that McCluskey played in. So while they're running rampant and scoring nine tries against Zebra, it's not a case of the team's better without McCluskey in it. It's just they were playing a worse team in more straightforward conditions.
0: Luke, time, th- time's taking on. Th- we better keep going. Time's taking on. Put my foot down. Uh, Stuart Watson had asked, is it a worry that Ulster aren't really being challenged? I think we, we discussed that quite a bit last week. Um, and Johnny's already mentioned it today too, but... Uh, there's not a whole lot they can do about that, but as the guy said last week, that probably training is the most competitive thing Ulster are doing right now, and that's all they can really control. Ethan McElroy though, I want to chat a little bit about him. Jonathan, he scored a try on a start. Was it his first try? I can't remember. It's his first Ulster first start or not? Um, first try, first try, first start. Yeah, was it first try as well? So how did you how did you rate his performance?
1: I thought he did well. I thought he was busy. Um, I thought it would have been easy to sort of. Um, Drift out of a game like that, um, not that you know you wouldn't expect someone looking to make their mark to drift out of the game, but just the way the game was going, I thought it would have been easy for the intensity across the board to drop a bit. But I thought he stayed really busy, went looking for looking for things to do. I suppose obviously like the Bruno try, may, maybe he'd, he'd want that situation back possibly, but um, if the guy doesn't produce an absolute worldly of a take spin and grind then we're not talking about it today like um i th- overall over the course of the last sort of three weeks i thought he's shown a good variation to his skill set like we know how well he can run with the ball we know how good he looks we know how fast he is just from i suppose seeing his progression from school to where he is now but things like the defensive reads and things like the aerial ability that he's shown in in glimpses throughout the last two weeks as well have all been really impressive and it's going to be interesting to see the next sort of, I suppose, two or three months. Well, actually no longer, basically until the end of the Six Nations, Um, just because Jacob will be away with Ireland, Will Addison's out, Robert Ballacoon's out, so there's your, you know, mentioned it earlier, there's your Champions Cup back three, and none of those guys are going to play an awful lot of rugby over the next little while for Ulster, so there's Opportunities there for guys in the back three. Yeah.
2: Um, I'll tell you what, I I just want to make one quick point off the back of that uh Bruno try for a young guy on his first start that early in the game, for that to happen, some guys would just go into their shell. But we've heard countless players talking already this season about how the young guys are so brave, they're coming into training and they're leading things. For him to not take a backward step in that game after that happened and to kick on and play as well as he did, that's a massive credit to his mindset. And that's a massive boost and a backup to what the players have been saying about what the young guys bring. So I, I thought that was really good that he was able to shake that off and continue to have a good game after that happened.
0: Well, speaking of that, back three, Michael Lowry. we will have to mention Michael Lowry uh, as well. Um, a try assist. We're giving him that try assist. It's still counts, doesn't it?
2: Or oh, absolutely yeah, well give him done. the try assist. For, for the smallest guy on the pitch to charge the ball down, you absolutely have to give him an <laughs> assist for that.
0: Yeah. Adam, we spoke about him uh, for length last week. I think it was not last week, I think before, but um, impressive again this week, really. He's, he's putting a good run together now. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think he's he's just really enjoying being in the team. And you can see how confident he is, how comfortable he is. He For the age he is, He's one of the most composed guys on the pitch that you can see out there. We've mentioned it in previous weeks, how his clearing kicks have improved. Um, We've seen now how he's starting to pick gaps. There was one really good run he had where he sort of picked it up in the backfield and just saw a gap and just made his way through with some great wee steps. He's just one of those guys that you kind of now have to get him in the team somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, a, a fullback, just a vision he has. We spoke to him last week just about how much he's learned about playing 15 from being a 10 coming through schools. So, you know, I, I don't think you can have any concerns about him at the moment, just in terms of what he brings to to the team and putting him in there. It's just great to watch him every week. You yeah. just know he's going to produce something dynamite when he gets the ball in the sand. Yeah. It's
0: it's, uh, it's brilliant to watch. Um, back to the pack for Stephen Kirkpatrick's question. Is Dan worried about lack of cover tight head? Marty Murray's been clocking up serious minutes this season. Uh, obviously missing O'Toole, but uh, the lack of minutes for Gareth Milisinovic and Ross Keen shows Ulster are maybe a bit short, Jonathan.
1: Uh, it's probably been the one, sorry, one of two positions that we haven't seen rotation um, because Stuart Murray played every, or started every game as well, um, obviously with a rotating cast of centre partners, but mm-hmm. Marty Moore has started every game um, and went a long way in those games as well, which is something that we talked about with him a few weeks ago, that he was really, had put his focus on, sort of admitted that he'd came, that he'd struggled with his fitness during during lockdown, and it was a continued um, point of emphasis for him in these early weeks. And I think he's got back to where he was sort of pre-lockdown in those Champions Cup games um, the last sort of two, two autumns, I suppose, where he's been very, A real central point for Ulster, not just in the scrum, which is what we expected him to do, but also in terms of his hands and attack and just his work rate in defence. I think I've said this before, but I think he's been a really, really great signing um, for Ulster um, in a position where they needed, needed somebody in. And then the bonus has been Tom O'Toole's emergence as well in tandem with that. But when you go beyond that, I suppose we haven't seen Dan give the same amount of minutes to the guys below that. Minutes, I suppose, just on the back of something that uh, Dan said last night are earned in training more than anything else. So maybe it's something he's saying in training, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, you'd like, or it certainly seems going off selection that he'd very much like to have both of his top two tight heads available. And just as Tom O'Toole is coming back to fitness, we expect him back in the next couple of weeks, then you get Marty Moore going off. So it's, abso- it's absolutely a concern in a in a vital position like. I think, I, you know, I go back to that old Joe Schmidt joke. I think we've told this story in the podcast before about him going into Leinster and asking who the, you know, who's your most important player? Mike Ross being like the tight head, and then Mike Ross saying the second most important player was the backup tight head. And things can go south very quickly if you don't, you know, as, you know, we saw with Wales even. Um, admittedly, their problems seem to be on the other side of the scrum, but we've seen how difficult it is to stay in a game where you don't have that scrum platform and from Marty Muir, Tom O'Toole, Jack McGrath and Erica Sullivan also know that they have that when their first I suppose four first choice props are available so anytime any of those guys are it's going to be a worry but just the way the minutes have gone this season Marty Muir is arguably the player that you don't want to see most of all going off
0: yeah do we know what whether he'll be fit for this weekend
1: no, we're still like, I don't know, 12 hours on from whenever the game was. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have too much in the way of information, other than Dan saying that he thought that he possibly could have played on, but they wanted to be cautious
0: with him. Yeah. But
1: Who would you start that's,
0: if, he's, if he's not there? Well, Tom
1: O'Toole is expected back in the very near future. I think he was in Parma as well with them having um, been in the – training with him the week before as well, so he is close and then it's it's been a long time since either of those two guys haven't started I assume, you're going back quite a ways. Ross Cain seemed to have the sort of inside edge earlier in the season we've seen Milicinovic come off the bench the last two times, so I think it will be one of those two, obviously well,
0: Hedging your back there, John, <laughs> your
1: man? Um, yeah, it'll be I'm, one of the two guys that plays in the same <laughs> position that are in the
0: squad.
2: I'm, I'm amazed they haven't played one of those two yet like i i understand how important marty Murray is but you see now how ulster are now turning to either what i mean let's say tom O'Toole isn't fit for sunday's game you're turning to either Milicinovic, who's played 76 minutes this season or ross kane who's played 36 to start sunday's game so I'm amazed one of them hasn't made at least one start, even just to give them a rest at some point. And at this point, you're probably hindsight's obviously a wonderful thing, but you now look back and you think to yourself, we really should have given them a, sh- a shot. Yeah, look, we
0: wanna, might might well get a chance this weekend. Just before we move on for what will now be a brief look ahead to Scarlets and um, some of the Ireland stuff. Like it's a day after the game, I think we can uh, we can be forgiven for making this a. Um, mostly post game podcast, but Adam, you want to have a little look at a uh, comparative to the, the 2012 season, then um, given that this is Ulster's best start since then.
2: Yeah, but I was just interested, obviously, since it is the first time Ulster have won six games to start the season since that, <clears throat> that 2012 season, whenever they won what was it, 13 in a row to 13, start. Now. And I, I was just looking at the comparisons. Uh, One of the first things that jumped out to me was Ulster played the Ospreys away in their second game and Cardiff away in their fourth game, exactly the same as they've done this season. And the only difference is Ulster had one game in the Heineken Cup in 2012, uh, whereas we haven't had one this season. Um, But just something very interesting to me, we look back on that 2012 team, that 2012 squad as being one of the strongest that Ulster have ever had. And they obviously started so well. They only used 33 players back in that season. Um, We're talking about 33 players, including all their internationals. We're including pretty much anybody that they wanted to play at that stage. I've gone back through the squad from then and there's nobody that I can see who would really think, yeah, they, they should have been playing. Also, this season have used 40. So I think we're seeing two very different squads eight years apart. You know, one that is looking to try and build a lot of depth and one that was at its prime and was really settled. And I think that's just very interesting whenever you look at this Ulster squad and you think about what they're achieving by winning six in a row to start the campaign whenever they are still sort of in a building phase where they're still going through so much rotation to start the season. And you can debate the quality of the opposition as much as you want. You know, Ulster are still rotating on average, I think it's five and a half guys per week, and they're still picking up wins each week. So to me, that's impressive. And this season, they've scored 30 tries in six games. So they're averaging five tries per game. Back in 2012, they scored 17 in six. So there's a big difference in offensive capabilities and, um, I'm just really impressed by one thing, and I mentioned the stat earlier. Ulster have had 19 different try scorers this season. Marcel has scored eight, so that's kind of an outlier. But, you know, 18 different players have combined for the other 22 tries. Back in 2012, Ulster had nine different try scorers. So the fact that there are so many different threats coming from this Ulster squad than the previous squad... Mm-hmm. And again, look, looking at it in context, you know, could just be like Paul Marshall scored three tries uh, in that 2012 season. We all know Marcy loved a wee tap and go and he loved to catch defences cold. But, you know, at, at the same time, there's just so many more different avenues that Ulster seem to be addressing. Or, being able to turn to this season than they were in 2012. I just thought it was a really fascinating comparison yeah. between the two teams and how they'd started the season. And I just think the fact that Ulster have been able to use seven more players and they haven't even used Tom O'Toole, Robert Balakoon, uh Will Addison yet, who undoubtedly would have played if they were fit. The yeah. fact that they've still got those guys in reserve, I just find that really fascinating.
1: Yeah, no 2012 team is better
2: though. No, the no, no. Don't get me wrong. The 2012 team was better. Well, but time, guys, we're only in November. Let's see. But I, I just, I just find only it really.
1: Only if G and E. Then we'll get 14 this year. Is that what we're saying? I don't know. <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm just, I'm just really interested that in a year where Ulster are still seen to be building their squad depth, they've started six from six for the first time since yeah. that 2012 team, yeah. and some of the stats that they've been able to put together this season are better than that 2012 side with what I think was a pretty co- comparable run in terms of difficulty of fixture.
0: Well, it's been part of an incredible start to the season for all the Irish provinces. I noticed Keen Tracy had tweeted uh, last night, it must have been after the game, that Leinster have got 30 points from 30, Ulster have dropped two points, and Munster have dropped three points. Uh, that was Munster from five games, Ulster and Leinster from six. It's just, it's absolutely incredible from the three of those in particular even... Um, Connell haven't i uh, been too bad either. Um, but before we move on to Ireland, uh, because we want to talk about uh, Billy Burns, of course. Uh, Jonathan, we should note at least that uh, they're playing Scarlets on Sunday, and regardless of how many changes they make, we made six week this week. they could make six next week? They're going to get a bonus point probably by half time, aren't they?
1: No, I don't. I don't think they get the bonus point by half time this week. Do you not? Just controversial.
0: No. Yes. <laughs>
1: no. I think Scarlets are okay. Yeah. They're not what they were two years ago or three years ago, but they're okay. No, they've got a good result against um, going away to Connaught there at the weekend. They've got they've played some good young players that are coming through so far this season. They should have beaten Monster, albeit that was at the start of the season when the internationals were, were yeah. here. But they've been okay. Like they're not they're not as bad. They're they're not terrible and some <laughs> of the teams that also have played and they? they've been terrible.
0: That's all, that's all you can say about Pro-14 opposition these days. They um, don't suck. <laughs> so Ireland then, more minutes than we imagine, of course. Yes, for Billy Burns on Friday night. Uh, JW asked, given that he was given his first cap much earlier than we anticipated, how do you feel he played? And has he done enough with section ruled out of Saturday's trip away to Twickenham? Who gets the nod then between Burns and
2: Burn? i fly half at him. My heart says Billy Burns. I'd love him to get a start. He, and I don't think he had the debut that he necessarily wanted uh, whenever he came on. Up. Obviously, whenever you're thrown on so early, there is a little bit of a being caught cold. You ha- haven't had the warm-up behind the posts that you'd like, and you're being thrown straight in whenever you weren't expecting it. and. Ireland did have that little bit of a lull in the third quarter, but and then and then he obviously came off himself with uh, with the head knock, so I, I think he probably was a bit disappointed with how the game went as a whole, but I, given the quality of the opposition and how poor Wales were, I don't think anybody's sort of coming out of that game thinking to themselves, "Man, I've I've done myself a massive credit in that game." My head says I think uh, Andy Farrell will go back to Ross Byrne I think Burns has probably been the second choice for a while now, and it probably would have taken a, a big performance from Burns off the bench to replace that. I know Burns didn't exactly do great off the bench against France himself, but at the same time, you've got to remember Burns is only two games back from injury. You know, he hasn't exactly had a massive run of games to then go and start against England at Twickenham. Um, Burns is a lot more familiar with the system. He's a lot more ready to go. So I'd say he's probably going to get the nod for the game on Saturday. Uh, Burns shouldn't take that as a slight or anything. I think the fact that he even got the nod to be on the bench against Wales is a massive credit to what Andy Farrell thinks of him. And he should really try and use that and kick on from here because he is an international quality fly half. And I think he's proven that over the last couple of years. But for me, I think it's it's Burns starting just as the as the more experienced international man uh, on Saturday. Johnny, what do you think? Are you equally as uh, much of a traitor to Ulster in this regard? Oh here, come on, come on.
0: It is what it is. I said what I said. Um
1: I think we we hadn't spoken about this before. I think I probably thought Burns played better than maybe Adam did by the sound of it. But um
2: I don't think I don't th- I don't think he played bad. I just think I just think he would have hoped that he would have really had a lot more of a, a control on things than he did. It's
1: a bit of a r- rubbish game, I thought, but anyway. Um, yeah,
2: well, exactly.
1: I'm going to base this on the fact that Billy Burns did media yesterday and Ross Byrne did media today, that um, it's going to be Ross Byrne. Uh, but do you do you agree with that? I would play one for one of the games and one for the other. And obviously you'd rather play England and Twickenham than Georgia and Dublin, but I would give them both a start because yeah. there's no point taking any risks with Sexton if there's any issue with him. And I personally don't see the value of this tournament apart from widening your panel, getting a, a longer look at your panel, and obviously clawing back some TV money that you lost from cancelled games. Like, yeah, I can't get too emotionally invested in whether Italy beat Scotland or anything like that.
2: Don't tell me you didn't dream of winning the Autumn Nations Cup when you were growing up, Johnny.
1: <laughs> I have to keep remembering what it's actually called because between that and the fact that we've got Nations Cup football going on at the minute, it's all a bit... Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, would you, it would be, just be nice if Billy could, uh, could play against some of his old under-20s teammates on that. But um, look... Better
1: storyline, which is what Andy Farrell should really be considering. Exactly.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll know more uh, tomorrow on Wednesday uh, whenever the Iron team is announced. What else can we expect uh, from an Ulster perspective? Just quickly, Adam, Hendo and... Uh, Hendo? and that's the Liverpool captain. Hendo. Hendo. <laughs> and, uh, Some people do say Hendo. I always yeah. say Hendy, but... No, it seems to be 50-50. Hendo and Jacob Stockdale, of course, didn't play on Friday night. Are they likely to be back?
2: Henderson, it sounds like, will be back, whether he plays or not is a different matter. I imagine he will, I think. James Ryan said that
1: he was going to look to him for... Guidance. Well, so yeah, perfect. exactly. So I think, uh, um, James Ryan's revealed that one there, I think.
2: Yeah, although James, James Ryan and Henderson have a very good partnership, they do work very well together so it would be a shock if they didn't start Um, as well as Quinn Rue played on Friday night, so like give, give him a bit of credit, I thought he had what a really real good game. real takeaway from Friday for me? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'd, I'd imagine if Handy is fit and it sounds like he is then he will play. Jacob is a bit of a different matter, he's they're still assessing his calf injury. I think if he's fit, he does play because I think they really want to give him. They really want to give him a game after the France game just yeah. to sort of put that in the back of his mind and go out and have another game and you know show us what you really can do.
0: Especially against uh, decent opposition rather than Georgia with no. Exa-
2: exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I think if he's fit, he goes back in, but we, we don't know if he's available yet or not. We'll. Yeah certainly find that out with the team announcement but it, it'll be a really good chance for him to prove the doubters wrong against England, yeah. you know, he obviously after what happened in France, he'll be really hungry to yeah. prove everyone wrong Is Stuart
0: McCloskey just uh, forever condemned to train with Ireland and never play a match again, Jonathan? Or might we see him?
1: Well, Robbie Henshaw's out and Gary Ingers is out If it's not, not so, yeah. <laughs> We are down to three centres and he's one of them Yeah It's like, it's a really tough balancing act with this. And like, I was talking to Michael about it the other day, like for him to play, then you have to give minutes to somebody who hasn't played an awful lot of minutes because of his injury. But if you have him in Ireland camp and don't play him, then how is he meant to get those minutes? And he'll still be rusty come the middle of December. So like the value of having him in camp and not playing him seems minimal to me. But then I also understand the arguments that, you want somebody who's more, for want of a better phrase, battle hardened by the fact that you know McCluskey's played once this season, so once in the past two months, really yeah. going back to the Toulouse quarterfinal. So that is difficult, and I suppose it's more pronounced now in times of COVID because otherwise you could have seen him released back and forth for to play games and get the minutes provincially, outside of those sort of breaks in the bubble that we had for whatever game that was, Cardiff. Yeah. Basically, yes, I'd really like to think that he was going to play, but...
0: We'll see. Really not out. Um, Just very quickly then, before we wrap it up for this week, Jack asks, how are clubs and schools dealing with COVID-19? Will any clubs close, And is there rugby going on at schools? Do we know what's happening?
2: Yeah, it's a tough time for clubs and schools at the moment. Obviously, they don't fall in the elite category, so they're very limited in what they can do. The Ulster branch said last week that... Uh, non-contact training can resume at clubs. Um, It didn't say anything in particular about schools I don't think but I think they fall under the same jurisdiction so I think they're able to do non-contact training as well but no games at the moment Uh, so they're very limited in what they can do obviously to try and prevent the spread of COVID-19 and uh, in order to keep everyone safe which is a real shame because obviously by this stage schools would be starting to ramp up their preparations for the schools cup and some would actually have started playing some schools cup games would be well into the club rugby season a few cups would have started all ireland league would be well underway so it's it's a tough time clubs are going to be hit financially i haven't heard anything about any of them closing and hopefully that's the way it will stay um, I know a few clubs are still planning a few a few things, which are very positive. But um, yeah, that like they are going to take hits, and it's a shame. But all being well, this will be over sooner rather than later, and we'll all come out the other side of it, and things will be uh, things will hopefully get back to normal sooner rather than later. Fingers crossed. It's gone
1: on forever at this stage. It's it's frankly quite rude. <laughs>
2: it
0: is it just
2: naughty COVID-19
0: all <laughs> so that's us for this week we will of course have all the build up to the Ulster and Ireland games this weekend on uh, Belfast Telegraph website in Belfast Telegraph and um, also in Sunday Life as well so you can begin your reading tonight with uh, Jonathan's five things we learned from Ulster's game which uh, I'm just about to go off and publish and There was also a nice comment piece. If international rugby is more your thing, it's probably not, or you wouldn't be listening to this podcast, would you? But if it is, there's a nice comment piece. Jonathan also did yesterday. Looking ahead to the England game, and how Ireland can possibly exercise some ghosts there, although we're none of us are probably holding our breath for that. But anyway, we'll be back next week to look back at it. So, from Jonathan Bradley, cheers, thank you very much. Anna McHenry cheers, guys, and myself, guys, Anna, thanks for
2: listening.